but you can also, you know, you can diversify the people that are in your institution, but if you don't change the culture of your institution, yeah, you're absolutely. going to perpetuate things. What's going on, everybody? You are now listening to Dr. Thomas Rashad Easley. I'm a hip-hop artist, forester, and assistant dean of community and inclusion at the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies. Welcome to the Heartwood Podcast. On this episode, we did something completely different, everyone. Something completely different. Chris and I brought together some of the folks at Yale University who do important work to build culture and community among graduate students of all types. If you listen to one episode of this podcast, this one might be it, but we want you to listen to all of them. On Hartwood's first live recording, we cover diversity, equity, inclusion, and access from multiple angles, talking about our own connection to this work, sharing anecdotes from our specific cultures, faculty, staff, and students, and what it means to do this work at an institution with the history and challenges of Yale. Everyone, this is one of my favorite conversations I've been able to have since being here at Yale. And I really enjoy being on stage with my friends, Darren Lattimore, Chantal Rodriguez, and Taryn Wolf. As always though, as you listen, don't forget to send me your feedback and your suggestions to thomas.easley at yale.edu. Thank you for listening. First question, everyone. How did you land in diversity, equity, and inclusion? I'm just stop there. How did you land in diversity, equity, and inclusion? And whoever feels led, as we say in my home, to start the answer, go with it. Well, I like the way that you, um, you worded that because a lot of people look at um, people who are accomplished and assume there was a direct path and that was all planned out. And that's not true. I, um, when I was in medical school and a resident, my goal in life was to run an HIV clinic thinking that I was gonna cure HIV. Um, however, after I finished training, I was having students and residents come to me talking about the exact same experiences that I had experienced as an undergraduate, as a medical student, and as a resident. It was yeah. like nothing was changing as to how people who are minoritized, marginalized, and stigmatized are treated in our higher education system. Mm -hmm. And so I really quickly um, decided early in my first job out of residency that I actually um, needed to pivot and that I needed to not just become a mentor, but really try to alter um, what diversity and inclusion actually looks like from predominantly minoritized people, but all three groups that I just said. And so, although I was working at Kaiser Permanente at the time as an HIV specialist, I actually wrote my first job description that I floated at a couple um, universities um, and my alma mater, which I, my, where I was alumni from, which is UC Davis, actually nibbled first and actually created the job and the office as director of diversity, eventually assistant dean, and eventually associate dean of diversity. 
So that's how I got to start um, down this journey. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, I love I love how you phrase it as well because it is a path. I didn't sort of go set out to work in. Mm -hmm. uh, we call it equity, diversity, and inclusion. So we, mm -hmm. you know, EDI, DEI. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But my background is in theater. I trained to be an actor uh, first, and then um, as I was looking at graduate school, um, I had a mentor who was like, you know, I think you write really analytically, and have you thought about, um, you know, pursuing a PhD in theater? And so I was at a crossroads. Um, I took a course on August Wilson, um, and at the time did not know that I would then come to the place where he wrote most of his century cycle at Yale Rep. Um, mm -hmm. But I studied the work of August Wilson, and, and he specifically was looking at, uh, you know, writing a century cycle of plays about black experience in the United States. And I identify as Latina. And it was through August Wilson's work that I realized, oh, all of my experience in theater had been like white Western European. And, um, and so then that led me to explore uh, Chicano and Latino theater. And then I decided to go into a PhD to focus on that. So that's my area of specialization is in US Latinx theater. Um, but I came through it by being awakened by the work of other artists of color. Um, and so then I was, you know, teaching different courses, but then I was working for the Latino Theater Company in Los Angeles as a programming director. And when you work for a culturally specific theater or a theater of color, you understand very, like, in real experience terms, like the funding inequities that faced, uh, you know, companies of color. Mm -hmm. um, as, a, as an adjunct faculty member at various universities, at UCLA, at LMU, at places mm -hmm. that I was just piecing together a living, um, women and students of color were coming to me asking me for support in their acting programs. I'm not an acting teacher, but they needed help finding monologues and things. And I realized that, oh, you know, I wanted to be in a place where I could actually have the power to advocate for students and make things different. Because as an adjunct that I was just coming in and teaching, um, I couldn't make those changes. So okay. um, suddenly, then it was through a student who was here at the drama school when they had a position open up and the drama school was very influenced by the March of Resilience that happened at Yale in 2015. Mm -hmm. Our students were really mobilized and then they sent a list of demands to our dean after doing some workshops and the position, a new dean position was created um, with part of the portfolio being EDI work. And so that person had met me at a major sort of a Latinx theater convening, recommended me, so Yale called nice. me and then I applied. So it was a really interesting path um, but I haven't formally been trained in, in EDI work at all. Mm, all right, all right. Thank you mm -hmm. so much for that, Shanta. All right, and Terry? Um, yeah, so I my path was very indeliberate, and it. I think I would not really even characterize it as a path necessarily, but as I'm sitting here listening to you both speak, and thinking back to our lunch last year when we first yeah, met, when I right. reached out to you, mm -hmm. um, I, I started my career, I've only been at Yale for a year um, in the art school, mm -hmm. but my career started in admission. And so I've been doing admission recruitment for about 18 years. Um, when I took my second admission job, I was at a school in LA called CalArts, or just north of LA, um, which was a visual and performing arts institution, very small. And we were in Valencia, California, which was a little north of the city, and it's kind of this very homogenous, very white suburb of LA. Um, but 
we were practicing this, you know, the school, the ethos of the school is very much about very contemporary and groundbreaking practices. And um, when I first got there, it was around the time when everyone was sort of starting to look around at each other and say, you know, um, what are we doing about increasing diversity here? And so one of my roles just by choice and by interest became um, the school I worked for was the visual arts school. And so setting up you know, targeted uh, specific recruitment programs where we were um, at, CalArts is the kind of school that pulls students globally from all over the place, but we started to really go into LA, you know, like down into schools in Los Angeles where we're meeting students who would really not um, necessarily have the, the advisement or the means to come to a private, you know, uh, visual and performing arts school, and then working internally to find um, streams for scholarship funds and ways in which we could support students. So it was really an effort to open a door, right, kind of what we thought thought of as the backyard of the institution that had never been opened before, and, and I was um, really involved in that. And then coming to, uh, years later, coming here to Yale in my position just last summer, our assistant dean of student relations and the dean's designee left in the middle of the summer and we were really without anyone filling that role and so this was about a week after I had just read about you coming Thomas to I had read your bio about how you had just been hired to come to Yale and I was thinking okay. you know associate dean of diversity equity inclusion and he's a rapper and he's a pastor and he's got all this cool you know, background <laughs> going on. And and then about a week later than that, my dean said, I want to make you the dean's designee and charge you with this role. And I thought, total imposter syndrome. What business do I have doing this? You know, I'm a white woman. I, I, I don't know what students' struggles are that are, you know, are coming from um, different places. And I, and I reached out to Thomas to just say, I'm kind of freaking out. I've never met you. I'd love to talk with you and, and try to understand if, if this is just this crazy thing. Um, and that was a really big turning point for me, that meeting, because uh, first of all, you were so gracious and willing to talk that through with me and what the role really entailed. But it also made me realize that um, you know people, people are constantly opting out of really important conversation about um, equity and inclusion and race and diversity because they choose their own comfort over having those conversations. And when we do that, um, you know, it, it, it helped me connect to the things in my past where I have been really passionate about mm -hmm. equity and inclusion and access. Mm -hmm. um, and so, well, thank you for that. But that's how I got involved in this work and I'm still really learning and there's still so much I don't know, but mm -hmm. yeah, sorry, that's no, my no, answer. This is good. Okay, <laughs> please, what's, what's going on? I um, wanna thank you for putting your race or race in the air because mm -hmm. so often people act as if only people who have pigment mm -hmm. um, can do diversity and inclusion work and others should not. And unfortunately, people who look like me often act that way also. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and I, I really want to say that this is about passion. This is about commitment. And all of us actually potentially have something to bring to the table. It may be different. Um, and there are situations I'll be very frank and very honest, a person who looks like and talks like me is not going to get certain people's attention. I don't care how schooled I am in diversity and inclusion. 
Matter of fact, don't even be invited in the door. So we need some of everybody as far as identities are concerned actually at the table and part of this conversation because mm-hmm. we all bring our own personal experiences to the conversation mm-hmm. whom actually can relate to us varies by our identities and their identities and so to mm-hmm. think that only a certain group of people are destined to do diversity and inclusion work almost by definition says we're not being very inclusive in this conversation mm-hmm. yeah and also that people that people of color, or like for instance, in my example, theaters of color, really do need uh, EDI training and workshops and things like that to deal mm-hmm. with issues like colorism in the Latinx community, uh, sexism, you know, um, ableism, all of these things. And so each person actually has to have a really deep analysis of their own sort of privilege, where they're coming from, Um, you know, and so none of us here, I just, because I know us all personally, it's like, well, we may not identify as trans, but I need to know how to support trans students and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, protect an inclusive environment for the trans community. But that's a big learning spot for me, um, Mm -hmm. among other things, right? And so, so that's that's really important because then sometimes then we're only burdening certain community people with yeah. the work of diversity and inclusion when it's really everybody's work. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're quite frankly, we're marginalizing it right. immediately. So Chantal, there's something that, that you, well, everyone says something amazing, but when you said, uh, you know, you, you, you identified an identity and you said, I'm still learning, I still have to learn. I think that that's powerful for people who even engage in this work to be humble enough to acknowledge that there's so many things that we don't know mm-hmm. and there's so many things that we have to learn. But listening to your, your responses to my first question, what I realized is I'm outnumbered when it comes to California on this stage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know I'm two, three. Yeah. I know just that. If you've never lived there, you really yeah. should for a little yeah. while. You didn't have yeah. to throw the shake like that. No. You never. I haven't lived there. Ten, okay, thank you. Okay, it's yeah. like that. Okay, y'all just turned it up. So, we from the southern there. Mm-hmm. They have forests, that's true. <laughs> Lack of water, but still. <laughs> no, they came out of the drought this year. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so you see, but as I listen to everyone's everyone's answer, there was something experiential in it, like for, for for you. There was something that involved another group of people, mostly students. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so there's a lived experience there, going to, to what you said there, and about passion. Okay, it's obviously there, but then there's also this thinking about other people. Okay, and wanted to connect to other people. And, and so with that, and we're here at Yale, and you all are doing great work already. I'm curious, what does your work look like in your school at Yale? Mm-hmm. And if you want, I can yeah. do a quick minute in, uh, insert if you want. You know, I can talk about, you know, here at, here at Yale FES, uh, my work looks great, actually. First, because see, like, see these these beautiful faces. I, I get to work with our outstanding people. And hello, Eddie Simpson, Senior School Architecture in the house. Uh, you know, uh, it's g- great to work with the students in particular, but also faculty and staff. For me, I don't know what the day is going to look like. Every day I come in, like today I came in, two things hit me in the chest today. Uh, I don't know what Thursday is going to look like. <laughs> but what I enjoy is that when I come to work, I come to work hoping to have a good day. I come to work looking forward to seeing my colleagues, and then I have to be ready. Now, I think that you are working probably bigger spaces than if yes. I know you do, Doc. So I'm curious, what does it look like uh, in your place? What does this work look like? 
so I'm not exactly sure what you mean by look like, but mm -hmm. I can say um, because I really walked into a void, there was no office of diversity here either. So I created the job, the previous one, and I'm the inaugural at this one. Mm -hmm. And um, But there was a void around climate culture in general. And so although I'm the chief diversity officer, I'm really also the climate culture person too. And so my work, like you just mentioned, mm -hmm. it varies on a daily basis what comes to me. And so I could put it in big buckets, um, which is sort of outreach, be it to bring in students, to bring in residents, to bring in faculty. Mm -hmm. We could put my next bucket could be kind of climate inclusion, which is trying to either at the individual level, help individuals solve problems that they're having in the environment, or more clear systemic problems um, that we're having. And then at a, a totally different level, which is the executive level, trying to help the institution really move forward in its thinking in these areas. Um, for example, I walked into an environment where we define diversity extraordinarily narrowly in my mind. Mm -hmm. um, and our ex excuse is probably not the right word. Our difficulty of recruiting diversity, we love to couch in this concept of excellence. Um, not being willing to admit that we define excellence in a way to keep the people who have always been in power at Yale in power and um, not really in a way that really truly was inclusive that was actually gonna open the door to other people. And I'm using other people very broadly right now. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like you, my job is varied on a daily basis as to what I'm actually dealing with any particular moment um, or what the kaboom is. I usually get called in if there's a kaboom um, and the kaboom <laughs> come in many different flavors. <laughs> usually, <laughs> if there's a kaboom, the dean or somebody is calling Darren. <laughs> Wait, just before this answers, I wish we had a kaboom sound effect. So I just hope that everyone heard okay. Just, I just want to just repeat that because I'm sure there's so many layers. Some outreach, student, residence, climate and inclusion, individual, collective, clear, systemic levels. I don't know how, you can't put that in one page, I think on the job description. So I just wanted to say that that's in and out. And I want to thank you for, for that. And now I'm, I'm okay, I'm curious. Um, I think for me, mm -hmm. my job, my, I have a job that is really just running a lot of the academic kind of administrative aspects of, of our school and so uh, the, the question from my dean to be the dean's designee was kind of an add-on. We don't have, in our, in our school, it's a very small school. We have 127 students in art. We're only graduate. And so, um, you know, our staff is really small, and everybody does uh, many, many things, and there's not, you know, enough time in a day for us all to touch all the parts of, of our roles. But um, so really, I mean, f for me... Uh, if, if there's a kaboom, yes, that's, that's my area, absolutely. And that can happen with students, that can happen with faculty, that can happen between student and faculty. Mm -hmm. um, I work very closely with our dean, and she kind of vets a lot of things 
through me, and we, we talk about ways of, of coming up with solutions to a whole range mm -hmm. of, of concerns and issues and less frequently problems. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, we've, we've certainly established that students, if they have issues, they can come talk to me, but I also try to get them to know that they don't have to have an issue, that I wanna know what's just happening for them and what their experience is, and. Uh, and also to hear their ideas about how we as a school can really live the, the, the kind of mission of, of inclusion and diversity and equity and belonging and all that. Mm -hmm. So I think that that, that most um, productively comes from those conversations that I have when I just walk around and, and go by the studios and just, and just engage with students mm -hmm. when they're not experiencing a problem. I mean, if certainly when, when something goes down and it needs to be addressed, absolutely, we're all there and it's all hands on deck and we're really, we'll stay as long as something needs to feel right mm -hmm. before we, we go our separate ways in figuring it out. Mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, I think just, I would love to see our school have more all school town halls and, and you know more regularized touch points where everybody from all of our programs feels together and is really able to talk about communication and the ways to make that more successful because better communication, I think, will always translate or hopefully translate to, um, you know, to less feelings of division or exclusion. But there's something. So there's so much in everything you said. Okay. How you get some of your information was interesting. You say, I walk around the school. I invite the students to come and see me if, even if they're not having any problems. One way I would, if I was to ask, how do you get your information? It seems like there's an informal way you can do it, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then there's a formal way. And one way is that you're going around, building relationships, talking to people, working to expand this and expand it across the school, whether it's a big school or not. Mm -hmm. you know, and then it seems like you're piecing, not piecing things, like don't have it together. I mean, you're piecing things, information together, and all of the interactions that you have. And I'm listening to Darren. You're piecing everything together from all of the different buckets, as you said. You know, like uh, that, that you're working with. And I can say in FES, I feel the same way. But I just want to also make sure. Last but not least, how does it look in the school of drama? <laughs> Our kabooms are like theatrical. Our kabooms are theatrical. Quote. Um, well, you know, my role is interesting because as the associate dean, I oversee student life, broadly speaking. I'm also the Title IX coordinator. I'm the dean's designee. Um, so I wear many hats. Many of the dean's designees are also the Title IX coordinator. And I do actually see Title IX work as being part of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, trying to aspire to an inclusive community, right? The one that's free of harassment uh, mm -hmm. or that responds swiftly to harassment is something of how we can sort of talk about having an inclusive space. So. It's helpful, but it's also, it can be a lot um, of managing all of those things. But so people associate me with those uh, yeah. roles. Um, but I'm also, there are four deans at the drama school, the dean, the deputy dean, myself, and the assistant dean. Okay. And we work, we have moved towards sort of like a shared leadership model. Um, you know, we're really trying to make large decisions by consensus or, or even if the dean is ultimately gonna make the decision that he really does um, put a lot of faith in, in our opinions. And so we talk mm -hmm. things out. So we've recently had a, a major curriculum review that specifically had a focus on diversity and inclusion. 
efforts. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we the whole school went through that process. And ultimately, mm -hmm. we made, you know, lots of changes that we were involved, uh, that we were all involved in. Uh, we reviewed our mission and values, and we realized one of our values was listed as diversity. And we were like, well, we think the word diversity gets thrown around a lot. Uh, in ways that aren't actually true to what it means. Okay. And so we think actually inclusion is something that's more of a value and that mm -hmm. diversity is part of that. Um, but you know, like one of my pet peeves is when someone's like, oh, are they a diverse person? I'm like that's literally not impossible. That's not possible, right? You are a person. This group could be a diverse group, right? But so we were like, let's be really specific with our language. So sometimes my work looks like being a voice in leadership, mm -hmm. having a really strong analysis of what's going on. Um, and speaking to the dean, or, you know, valuing our opinions. And I'm in my third year. The assistant dean, uh, Kelvin Dinkins Jr., is now in his second year. Um, and so he also brings a, a really strong perspective of this work in the theater that he's been doing for a long time. So, some, so my work sometimes looks like making large decisions, um, you know, having deep conversations with faculty and staff, bringing them along, uh, coordinating. Um, workshops with uh, Art Equity, who does sort of um, inclus inclusivity and, and diversity workshops for um, arts, uh, arts organizations. Mm -hmm. We also started to work with the Divinity School, who's been hosting uh, workshops, undoing racism workshops with the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond. Mm -hmm. So all of the deans went to that workshop uh, on our own uh, during different weekends that it was done and supporting mm -hmm. other people to go. Yep. Um, so there are like institutional ways that that work looks like, but then it's deeply personal with students. Um, I'm the liaison to all of the student affinity groups at our school. We have seven. We will soon have eight. So I'm their liaison. And for student groups, we really want to let students lead them. Yeah. But you know, I support them with um, some administrative work and, and if they want advice or things like that. Um, I am the facilitator. We have an equity, diversity, and inclusion working group that meets once a month okay. and we um, you know, pause our rehearsal calendar for two hours once a month so that people can go. Um, mm -hmm. But it's tough because I think there can be some cynicism around this work or you know, uh, people figuring out. We've had some folks say, you know, I find those meetings to actually be more like a white learning space. And for me as a right. person of color, maybe those two hours is when I can take a break. And so you know, maybe that's what they're prioritizing. So it takes a lot of work and I think long-term like trust building. Um, so it's, it's a mix of like you know, bureaucratic work and administrative work and then individual work. And honestly, I think the biggest part of my job is like deep, deep listening. To, to people, yes. to everybody, and to try to figure out like what what is going on, and and especially when you're dealing with a case like some kind of formal complaint or case, um, to really you know be a deep listener and then figure out how to best support everybody to get through the kaboom <laughs> that's going on. So, Thank you. So one thing I want to um, say, which you uh, hopefully you heard. A lot of people will look at us as, let's just say, the diversity officers for our institutions yeah. and say, oh, we, and soon we have this, all this power. So-and-so did me wrong. Go fire them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we need more people who look like X. Go hire them. Mm -hmm. um, and quite frankly, mm -hmm. our jobs or our roles really are through facilitation, collaboration, and influence. And most of the, mm -hmm. most of the time, we are not the person who truly has the lever to actually make whatever needs mm -hmm. to happen, happen. 
And so it is extremely important that we have communication skills and a level of emotional intelligence that our dean will never comprehend. Because we really, but it's true, because we really have to be able to understand all the people, including our teens, very well, what drives them, how to present something in a way that will move them forward without them sometimes realizing that we're doing that and them thinking, oh, I had a wonderful idea, um, et cetera. <laughs> I will say my dean is very, very aware. But I think, you know, my dean is, uh, he's a cis white man, and he mm -hmm. will say, what do you think? Or And I had to, um, I had to figure out how to actually say what I thought. And there was, in my first year, at one point he told me, um, don't ask for my permission anymore. You, I, I, there was something, there was a poster above my office that I found very problematic. It was a poster from an old show at the school. And it was it was like Shakespeare done and like a, with a Latin American twist, but it said it was like some spicy Latina twist on the show, and I didn't want that in front of my office, and I just and I didn't know, yeah, I just felt uncomfortable. So I came and like was like, um, can I take this down? I felt very, I didn't know what to do, and so then he, you know, and then he told me, don't ask for my permission. You're a dean at the school, and you need to tell me. And then the deputy dean, she is a powerhouse too, and she was like. Next time, I want you to take them down and then say, I took them down and here's why. You know, and so I had to unlearn, yes. and I'm still unlearning patterns of behavior as a woman, as a Latina, for coming mm -hmm. from my class background. Mm -hmm. How to inhabit this position uh, mm -hmm. is challenging, but uh, to, to work with colleagues who will hear you. And I will say, I, you know, we, all of us go to meetings at Greater Yale. Yes. Mm -hmm. And speaking with the provost or different people, mm -hmm. um, and I have learned quite a bit, especially from Darren, about mm -hmm. being a very vocal person in those spaces, mm -hmm. um, because that's our opportunity to bring the community's voice forward. Right. Um, but that's something you have to practice a lot. Mm -hmm. Ooh, okay. I, let, let me jump that's in really on that one. I, I plead, yes. So, uh, one, I, I, this is not a challenge to you, Chantal. It's just <laughs> it's somewhat of an affirmation to what you said, especially when using your voice. I have noticed that in doing this kind of work, people, many, the people who work in diversity usually probably have to use their voice more than three times mm -hmm. because it seems like when you have an idea, your ideas get questioned a lot of times. I don't know if that's mm -hmm. happened to you. I know I felt that. Mm -hmm. I've, I've experienced that. You know, uh, I hear a lot of bad ideas every day I come to work. <laughs> Uh, and so, I mean, every day I hear ideas. I'm like, I wouldn't do that. You should give me your job. Anyway, uh, so then when, you know, so I noticed that I think people who work in diversity, excuse me, EDI, I'll use your sure term, equity, diversity, inclusion, and I'll add access to that, we, we're constantly code switching. I think we're constantly code switching. We're always trying to find a way of saying something that a certain group or certain people will feel more comfortable with while we are... Uh, trying to do the work around us. i give you an example. One of the things that I said when I first came here was, okay, uh, so you want to recruit black people, right? Yes. All right. And you hired a black person, right? I said, yes. All right. I said, okay. So then who are you going to listen to when ideas around recruiting black people comes up? Because it seems like sometimes when I have ideas, mm -hmm. they get questioned. And I'm like, oh, I thought I was, in some ways, I mean, you hired me because I'm the black guy. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I like how it only works being the black guy, 
you know, when it's convenient. Uh, as T.K. Kirkland would say, you know, they uh, turn everything black but Jesus. So it seems like when it's time to actually get something done and, you know, sometimes do the power, use your power, make something happen, it seems like, for me at least, that's when a lot of tension happens. That wasn't a question I was getting ready to ask you, it was a, but, it was, but what you're doing, the question was going to be about barriers and, uh, you know, the challenges, uh, because we're at a school that is of it's huge magnitude. Yeah. And so there's a lot of opportunity, one, right? Vast resources, okay, here we go. But then there are a lot of barriers. You've already started the conversation. You've already started, and I think that I just added another barrier. So I just want to just kind of, if I can just pause here and ask, if, if I can just ask, ask that directly. And I also wanted to say that and, and introduce it that way because we throw the word safe spaces around a lot. And I haven't been in a safe space except for when I'm at home. Mm. So I like to use the word brave space mm -hmm. uh, instead. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't want to ask my colleagues to out anything or say anything without me at least addressing that first. But you, you, you already jumped in front of me, but I wanted to also do that myself. So would anyone like to answer that even more? I mean, like I said, you already started it. So I would I first actually want to go back to the code switching because, okay. and I'm going to use it very differently than you just did. Sure. Because what we, at least I have three different constituents, or actually four. Mm -hmm. I have the students mm -hmm. who yeah. often want something very different from me than lead administration. Mm -hmm. You know, the students want me to, quite frankly, blow it up. Mm -hmm. Lead administration might want me to Quelch it down, quiet it down. <laughs> and the community, the true community, New Haven community wants to be acknowledged and in their minds treated differently than how Yale is treating it. And so going between those three different spaces, sometimes trying to navigate the exact same question um, can be interesting, um, mm -hmm. if not downright difficult at times. Um, barriers for me are, I'm very fortunate, the School of Medicine at least, we are resource rich. So it's not about not having enough money to program, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Barriers for me is sort of what I talked about earlier, and that is, We, in, for lack of a nicer way of putting it, in a very superficial way, wanting diversity and change, when really at Yale's root, it wants to hold on to a past, which, I'm, hopefully you'll cut this part of the tape out, a past that is mythical at best. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And us trying, me trying to get my school to move forward and realize actually the, the pathway to excellence in today's time is diversity. Diversity of thought, diversity in every way, shape, or form, and which mm -hmm. there is lots of data to show that if you have diverse teams, you actually come up with a better product. Mm -hmm. But again, our sense of excellence is, you know, certain other Ivy League schools produce the best as if we really know what all the rest of schools in the universe produce. Or literally, I've been told more than once, I know the 10 labs in the world of which produce the best in whatever science. 
again, as if any individual knows all the rest of the labs in the world, instead of realizing we know our own networks, we know what work was familiar to us. Mm -hmm. And so my big barrier is really getting my institution or my part of the institution, actually the institution, so I take that back, mm -hmm. to really expand its definition of excellence so that it actually creates space for excellent people who happen to be different. Please, Doug, let me just add to that, because uh, I think that we need to also expand our definition of scholarship. Well, I think uh, my, my, my excellence. I mean, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I, I knew you were. <laughs> I, I just wanted to just add a little bit, you know, just add to it, uh, you know, because I think that what we deem understanding scholars are people who are very well learned, very well read, mm -hmm. you know, very well published. And then I go, but we miss those people who are very well lived who can also apply things to the life experience. And that's the thing that I really like about being in diversity. In my opinion, you can't do this unless you've experienced things and worked through it. So then you can help other people. Mm -hmm. But if I can just tell you what I think I know and that's it, I'm like, that's good, but I still think that there's more to it. And so I, I just wanted to add that to it. Now that you needed that added, I just wanted to just, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling the love. But <laughs> even, even if you use the definition that you use, very well mm -hmm. read, very well published, very well blah, 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 yes. it's very well read of very specific things mm -hmm. so by true. very specific people so and very well published mm -hmm. in very specific journals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, again, if, if the whole goal was to bring diversity to the table, and I'm not just talking about skin-deep diversity, some true cognitive diversity to the table, then mm -hmm. what I'm going to read is going to be different. And therefore, what I'm going to study is going to be different. And therefore, where it probably is going to get published is going to be different. Mm -hmm. So if you really want true diversity, then why would you bring it to, onto our campus to set it up for failure? Yeah, I mean, and maybe you relate to this as well. And it's like an aesthetics when you're looking at art is that, you know, we look at excellence from a particular aesthetic and how do we actually shift and bring a diversity of perspectives of what is beauty, what is art, you know, all of those deep questions. And, you know, we can change. We've, we've been able to at the drama school diversify the student body relatively quickly because mm -hmm. the turnover is so high. Faculty right. and staff take long. You don't just throw out people, right, to bring right. new people in. And as people retire, as things change, I mean, you do sometimes when, they, when you know, they are, you know, I'm not going to get into that. But yes, you, but it, the change is slower. The pace of change is slower um, in faculty and staff. But you can also, you know, you can diversify the people that are in your institution. But if you don't change the culture of your institution, well, you're going to perpetuate things. So I think... What we're really learning, and it can be painfully learned, um, but we are learning that you know white supremacy culture invade. We we live in a white supremacy, um, you know, a country that was rooted in these values. So uh, even just that phrasing can be a barrier because people shut down. And we've had experiences mm -hmm. where we're trying to sort of work with uh, different constituents to understand what we mean. Students have a, a different understanding than faculty and staff. Mm -hmm. right? Even the term social justice has different understanding. So just trying True. to hear one another. But how do we shift that culture is a long-term project for us, something we're working through, we're, we're struggling through it. Um, and then how do you, another barrier is like when you, sh when you can't hear the institutional critique or when you can't like actually sit with it. Um, and right now, because our students are artists, you know, one of our uh, uh, graduating playwrights, his thesis is called Yell, and it is, uh, you know, it's it's a it's his experience at the school, um, and it's really difficult critique because it's rooted in his pain of his experience. And so, 
we are uh, working to support the student, and so how do we, you know, we need to support art that is critique. If the institution can't withstand critique, mm -hmm. then we're not actually living those values, but sometimes it's gonna be uncomfortable, and we believe really art should be uncomfortable. And so it's a time to really challenge your uh, moral and ethical code of if you say you believe these things, yes. but when it makes you uncomfortable, do you actually go through with them? And that's a, I think people are personally wrestling with it, and I think our institution is wrestling with it. Um, mm -hmm. So that's those are the uh, those are big systemic barriers I think that mm -hmm. Yale, like Mother Yale, is facing certainly. Right. Mm. But it is true. It's it's a, I think if and being in the arts, you know, we're I think we're very used to being in these communities where people consider themselves open and they're they're dedicated to allyship and they're dedicated to you know this idea of everybody looking different or 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 identifying as different genders or being gay or queer or what have you but then they don't really have interest in talking to the person that's religious or you know you know what i'm saying like we choose it's like a choosing your own adventure within inclusion right um, if we're going to truly live that commitment to openness, then that has to expand out into the uncomfortable places for each person, right, for themselves. Um, I'd say the other systemic, there's like brick and mortar issues. We, we have a student in our program right now in the acting program who uses a wheelchair, a disabled actor. We've had... Uh, we've had students in wheelchair before, or faculty as well, but not in the acting program, which raises questions about representation and casting, but mm -hmm. literally brick and mortar issues in our buildings have been really uh, yes. physical barriers to how do we make sure that when we plan events that it's accessible to everyone. Mm -hmm. um, you know, questions well, like our dressing room, like we've, we've made a lot of progress in terms of uh, restrooms and having all gender restrooms in every building. Um, but then we thought about you know dressing rooms, and we have a, a, an actor who is trans, and how do we how do we sort of wrestle with the gender binary in those spaces? And so um, there are a lot of brick and mortar things that actually, uh, as inclusive as we want our environments to be, sometimes the physical building you're in, our building is really we have multiple very old buildings, um, but <laughs> that, it's a challenge. Like California, where there is no building as old as these buildings. I know. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's <laughs> but also the myth, the myth of Yale. Most of the buildings were built in the 30s, which isn't as old as we think they're made to look older. So it is that mythical past that you were talking about. Right. I, okay. Wait. If you don't mind, I want to go, if you don't mind, because we're still in the same vein, I just want to go back to something that Terrence said in the beginning when you mentioned imposter syndrome. Yes. Now, I came from a state school. I mean, I've worked at NC State uh, before I came here for 13 years. Uh, my whole career until I came here was land-grant institutions. And so even when I crossed the threshold into Croon Hall, I'll be honest, there was a part of me that was like, I don't belong here. Yeah. Like this, like, this why is, me? How did this happen? And you know what I realized is when we talk about imposter syndrome, we always flip it on people not feeling like they belong. I wonder why we don't use it about people who think that they don't belong in diversity. Because mm -hmm. I feel like that's what I see a lot in these halls every day. I see imposter syndrome when it comes to diversity when I look at my colleagues who choose not to engage in it. Right. People who go, I don't know that I can handle that. And I'm like, so you're going to stay the problem? Mm -hmm. Are you going to be? The, are you going to join on the solution? Because we can all be the problem. Mm -hmm. And so, w with that, since I've come here, I've noticed that I brought a lot of ideas from a land grant institution that are different in a place 
that I guess didn't understand what it was to be federally, state, as well as citywide compliant. And so in a state institution, you have to be. In a state institution, you pay taxes. You have to. In a state institution, uh, you know, you have to apply for grants. It's interesting being in a place where I work where a lot of people don't even know what it is to write grants. I, I, have to, I used to have to apply yeah. for grants all the time. Uh-huh, seriously. Apply for grants all the time just to have money to breathe. And then I'm here where it's like, I'm like, we, we, oh, we just ask donors. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's a different culture for me, you know, because in my neighborhood sure. the donor sure. was the dope boy so um i want to ask you since i've brought I, I feel like i've brought ideas here uh like we're doing this podcast right not saying that that's a new idea to yale but i think it is somewhat new in a certain way to yale fes because there was another podcast before this one we're doing recruitment across the country like uh but not just in the bay area no disrespect to cali okay because i'm trying to go back to cali like ll <laughs> but you know it's either bay area dc new york and then I'm coming from Alabama. I called it the Dirty South. I'm like, well, how come I don't see more people from the South up here? Why don't I see people up here who talk slow like me? You know. And so we're working on that and creating initiatives around that. So my question is, what specific programs, events, or ideas have you implemented at your school to take on these challenges? I would say that our school, we're, we're really still figuring a lot of this out. We have a relatively new dean, uh, our dean, Marta Kuzma. She's been here for, this is her third year. Um, and she has really wanted to dedicate more resources in the school to, um, to understanding what our, what, what our students need and, and mm -hmm. what they expect. And, and uh, so it's, it's a moving target right now. Um, I think maybe you both have some better ideas of like specific cemented programs that are happening, but just to tie your question back to the whole notion of imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. uh, not to, to keep going there. But mm -hmm. I would, at, at the risk of saying something unpopular with, with my school, I would even say that many of our students come to Yale feeling mm -hmm. like, how did I get here? Why am I here? Am I good enough to be here? And so that, I think, can, because of the illusion of Yale, right, mm -hmm. and, and, and the institution of it. So I think sometimes students aren't even comfortable saying, you know, I don't actually know who the person is who you're lecturing to me about, or that you're, you're referencing this, this movement or this artist or this, this text when you're critiquing my work, and I have no idea who you're talking about but I'm gonna write it down and I'm gonna look it up later, but right now I'm not gonna tell you that I don't know, right? So mm -hmm. I think that for, for us, um, you know, the School of Arts functions on this structure of critique and, and practice where every week and, and really daily students are putting their work out and getting critical feedback from faculty and students in a very open and very public way, um, public mm -hmm. within the school. Uh, and so there's already this, this mm. kind of structure of sharing, and, and, and I'm sure that within that, people do uh, feel afraid to say certain things, or, or similarly to what I said earlier, people are so afraid of saying something wrong, or looking, some, looking wrong, or mm. being wrong. You know, mm. that's, that's the, the, the ultimate vulnerability, right? Mm -hmm. um, of what if I don't seem right? Mm -hmm. And so I think for us, a 
major step that, that I'd love to see our school accomplish before we implement like um, programs or trainings or whatever it is that we need, because we've also tried having those trainings and they oh, didn't okay. always work, mm. is to learn how to communicate in a way that's really productive and, mm -hmm. and kind of bring in resources around how to have, like we talk about safe spaces, what a safe space is. How about we have like a safe container for this particular conversation? And we mm. agree with each other that right now we're going to be open and not be afraid to say something wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, sorry, I'm kind of going oh, all over the place. This is good. Oh. But I think we're still working on like what programmatically and structurally does this look like for our school? Mm -hmm. Because there's so many specific, I think, needs um, and specialized expectations like within the venue of, of art and design practice, right? Mm -hmm. And then right. also identifying um, how do we, if we are going to invite kind of outside voices, which we do all the time. I mean, our visiting artist roster is like hundreds of people long in a given year, mm -hmm. but how are we going to find you know, uh, someone to come in and run, say, a workshop for us, whether it's on communication or on inclusion or unconscious bias or what have you, how are we gonna find a person who's gonna come in and do that, but who can also speak to artists and who they're not gonna think is, you know, super corporate or they don't they don't respect them because they're coming in in this way that, that and you know what, I, you can probably relate to this. There's a very specific, I think, in all of our areas kind of way to speak to those specific practitioners mm -hmm. that that the success of such an effort hinges so much upon that fit yes mm -hmm. okay. Wait, I, i'm I done now talk, I'm so, no i could talk so much about it i want to pause because <laughs> I, I think all, all four of us could talk could, yeah. could talk about that i was I'll just share a few things. I mean, there's there is a lot of initiatives before I came. I started at Yale. I'm in my third year now, mm -hmm. um, but I'll just sort of point to two things. So I mentioned our equity, diversity, inclusion working group, and there are smaller action groups. And the, one of the first major action groups, um, they worked on uh, naming spaces at our at we we occupy right now multiple buildings. And this was also inspired by a larger project at the university also by the renaming of um, Grace Hopper, or the renaming to Grace mm -hmm. Hopper College. And mm -hmm. so um, we went through a process. We pulled alumni, current students, faculty, and staff, and um, asked for nominations to name uh, spaces, rooms in our buildings, um, different areas in the buildings after uh, a diverse group of people that had either trained at the school or had mm -hmm. Uh, come to the, uh, the rep as an artist, and so we renamed a bunch of our spaces. So for instance, the lounge at um, the Yale Repertory Theater is now the August Wilson Lounge, where he premiered like eight out of the 10 plays from the Century Cycle. Um, we have the Maria Irene Fornes studio room. Um, and so all of these things, so when students of color, and it's not, and this kind of work isn't just for students of color, it's for all students to see uh, the diversity. Uh, when we mm -hmm. talk about excellence, it's like, this is what mm -hmm. it looks like. That's my other pet peeve. It's like, but the people of color need to see themselves. I'm like, no, everybody also needs to see mm -hmm. that, like they are uh, prominent as well, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's that's been a big thing. I think that was uh, that's also like a brick and mortar thing. But in terms of actually, uh, one of our our recent grads also talks about like, are we preparing the space for the people we're inviting in? Um, so that was one thing. And then also we're like, well, 
we, there's not one space where EDI work can happen. And to put all the eggs in one basket puts too much pressure on things. And so uh, our assistant dean, Calvin Dinkus Jr., is leading um, uh, this EDI symposium that's like three to four times a year. We have sort of a big symposium that he's organizing. And so, uh, and that was so that we could sort of fill in the gaps of what, where we're not um, sure. able to put a, 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 have large conversations about or students wanted to have a year-long course on EDI work and it was, we didn't know how to do that yet. So this was the first offering. So he, he's, he's done, I think, three to four symposia so far. One was about accessibility and design. One was about uh, casting, inclusive casting, and then the next one he's going to do is around, um, you know, globalism and internationalism in the arts, or think different, like lots of different topics, um, so that we can have multiple ways where these things are happening at sure. the school, not just in this one meeting. Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. So I'll break it up: diversity, equity, and inclusion. So on the diversity side, so bringing in um, um, people. And again, unfortunately, it's mainly identifying underrepresented in medicine. Um, a lot of work around unconscious bias training and microaggressions and creating a standardized process of actually doing the search instead of whoever chairs the search doing whatever way they want to. Mm -hmm. So, um, and what I can say is knowledge and conversation have moved light years in the two years I've been there. Will I say outcomes have moved nearly as far as knowledge? No, um, but you got to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, so, and on the on the medical student side, the exact same thing. Actually, doing unconscious bias training um, for admissions and really getting them to look at the data of where students come from. They were shocked when I showed them. Um, it was very predictable that their students were actually coming from very specific institutions and they were just like mm -hmm. in faculty, they were judging institutions, not mm -hmm. individuals. Mm -hmm. um, and so again, that actually has, is actually leading to um, some shift, more shift on the student side. So that's what we're doing in the, trying to bring in a more diversity space. On the equity side, um, two parallels at the faculty level, we actually, and this was before me, um, Every year, every single faculty member's salary um, is looked at. And it was mainly around gender inequity. And we've been able to close that gap significantly because every department has to present every single faculty. And we go one by one by one. And if one is way out in left field, the, somebody needs to explain that. And we'll make um, corrections in that moment, um, 40 different meetings. On the student side, so many meetings. So many. <laughs> it is. Thank you. It is. On the student side, we are taking a deep dive, looking at grading for every single course by identity, and looking to see if there are any systematic issues there. And sad to say, I have not been surprised so far. But um, so that's what we're looking at on the equity side for mm -hmm. students. Mm -hmm. From an inclusivity perspective. We um, are trying to have more sort of networking events. For example, we're having more, which is a minority faculty retreat, um, actually on Friday. So anyone, anyone can come. But um, it will be geared at issues specifically that minority faculty face. We're going to be having that on Friday. Sure. Um, we, at um, the student level, any, anyone can come. Um, and we have what we call First Sundays which the first Sunday of every month, we just have a social gathering and we usually partner mm -hmm. with another school, mm -hmm. another area. So we're partnering with, what's GSS? 
graduate student something something. Yeah. yeah. So we're partnering. Um, that's what we're partnering with th this particular time. Would love to partner with Forestry because I, I pay for it every time when we partner with whoever mm -hmm. we partner with, and it is purely just a, a have fun, relaxed um, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so those are some of the things that we're trying to do on the inclusion side. The other thing that we're doing that I'm extremely proud of, because we're mm -hmm. way behind as far as renaming things. So mm -hmm. started a committee um, on the Committee on Art and Public Spaces at Yale School of Medicine, um, because um, almost every portrait was of a elderly Caucasian male, almost mm -hmm. every last one of them. We had one or two portraits of women, which, let me take that back, picture of a picture of a picture of a picture. Um, that was the one woman that was up on the wall. I mean, it looks wow. like a picture of a picture of a picture. <laughs> and so we have actually created two subcommittees, one of which is um, looking at um, rotating art. So we have our first exhibit, which is um, two weeks. We took down an entire hallway of those pictures to be cleaned and something, something, and hopefully never found again. And we have beautiful, I mean absolutely beautiful pictures of female faculty members in multiple different settings of, and a little caption where they answer three questions. What would you tell your younger self? What mm -hmm. would you um, tell, say to inspire a young female person going into science? Mm -hmm. Oh, what's the third one? Ooh. I'm sorry, another motivational one. Okay. And that's the first, and our next exhibit is gonna be called Reflections. And so any and anybody, including a staff, including a janitor, if they want to put up a piece of art that they feel is a reflection of themselves or the environment, they can actually put that in. So that's how we have started trying to change the actual space itself to be more inclusive. Unfortunately, the more I think about it, the more I realize the actual space needs changing. The stiff chairs. I mean, just the whole every. It's not just the walls. I mean, it's the everything. Um, really speaks to some groups of people way more than it speaks to being inclusive to other groups of people. And so how 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 I'm gonna fix that? I'm not sure. But we're gonna start with the walls. <laughs> so that's a little bit of what we're doing in the D E and I space. Um, can I just no, please go ahead. That's that was a great story. <laughs> the picture of the picture of the picture. Um, yeah, no, I just did want to listening to you both talk about um, your efforts, which are really they're they're admirable for sure. Um, when 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 I was referring to our school just getting started, or I, I think I was. I'm talking about my 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 me myself in my role feels okay. like it's just getting started, mm -hmm. and we obviously have had for for many years other other efforts in place in which we're engaging students um, and and bringing in people from the outside or or having our faculty engage students on. Um, having open conversations, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, so I didn't want it to seem like we, we have nothing in place because that, that is not the case. Yes. Um, but I, I, one of the things, obviously, looking at faculty searches and, and, and ways in which we can, um, it, again, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little tongue-tied here, sure. like include others. Uh, has to do also with 
the you you had mentioned having your faculty look at where the schools that students were coming from. That that was a that was something that we did this year that I didn't even realize we had done, but it was shocking actually to to really run this kind of analysis of where have what have been our feeder institutions and where are we pulling students from and to see the same ones over and over coming through and um, very few of them public, right? Like that kind of, uh, of, of an analysis. So part of it I have to say is, con is even when, when structures are put in place or resources are put in place, and Yale is such a huge university that I would say that it's overwhelming almost to, to even begin to understand how to tap into the many resources that are here centrally, mm -hmm. right, for a new person. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I think the dean's designee is so the dean's designee group is so meaningful because mm -hmm. it allows um, the dean's designee is the is the individual in each school who's tasked with kind of being the individual whose students can come to if they have to report any kind of harassment or um, if they have ideas about uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. So we meet monthly. And okay. that's uh, a way in which we share resources and information, mm -hmm. um, you know, across across the institution and learn about the resources that are here because mm -hmm. there are so many. And sometimes connecting students to that feels difficult too. I want to just make one other comment. Um, it, this is what I was trying to think of before, and it was escaping my my memory for a second there, mm -hmm. which is just how. International students, too, I, I believe, are a population um, within this space that that often get overlooked, right? So um, at the School of Art, we have 33% of our income in class are international. And so even I, I had written an email yesterday to OISS with the student that we admitted from Iran and, like, what are we doing? Uh, to augment the process of just visa issuance, right? Like right now, there's sanctions that that um, keep Iranian students from being able to send money to the institution from Iran. And what so what is what are we doing as an institution to say, okay, we admitted you? How are we going to make this possible now, right? So, um, our international students have struggled. Um, some of them being racialized for the first time in the United States, yeah, right? Mm -hmm. they, we had a student from Iran who was like, in Iran, I'm white, and now I'm mm -hmm. a woman of color. What is that? And then mm -hmm. had to learn mm -hmm. what that meant and then embraced it, but was it's very jarring um, for a lot of international students. And then, especially as the culture shock of being in the U.S. and then having to learn the particular brand of U.S. racism or U.S. sexism and then how, how they navigate that. So we do offer, like, workshops and stuff, but... I think we, we've also heard that they need more time, like advanced time with materials to just get the yes. concepts together mm -hmm. because it can be, it can be very uh, jarring. It's completely foreign, some of the concepts. Um, and, the, and one other thing you said that I just wanted to say is that I think all, all of us sort of are doing this work now and that the work has begun long before us. Um, right. And and I've had a student tell me like you know EDI work began at the School of Drama the very first time a person of color walked through the halls the very mm -hmm. first woman who worked mm -hmm. there the very first disabled mm -hmm. person right yeah. that that that's when the work began 
Um, and so I'm, I'm always trying to also be humble about thinking about like we are sure. in a process of change mm -hmm. and we're just doing small work on it. But I've seen students, for me, students are the biggest catalyst mm -hmm. um, in, in, in making the change happen. Sure. I agree with that. Well, before we open it up for questions, because we just have a few minutes left, I just want to say so that we, you know, FES is engaged in a number of things. And last year in the school, we had some uh, pretty powerful things to happen around this time last year. So mm -hmm. I am definitely keeping my eyes open on all faculty, staff, and students this year. Uh, but uh, we have uh, our own Equity and Inclusion Diversity Committee. Uh, we meet once a month. Uh, we uh, deal with the, deal with the uh, try to work with the same issues here in the school. And one thing that we've done is we've rewritten the staff recruitment and retention plan for, for employees. So we, yeah. we've been active there. We've been active in, uh, in our mods and our orientation. We've adjusted it uh, tremendously by inviting Center for Whole Communities to come in and do a two-day diversity experience with, with our students. At the same time, throughout the year this year, we had them doing racism and community organizing mm -hmm. training here where our dean and two other deans from campus were also there. And now they're looking at, okay, how can we do this mm -hmm. again? Mm -hmm. So our dean is in, uh, I, give, I got to give Andy Burke uh, uh, re, um, much respect on that. She was like, how can we do more and how can we support mm -hmm. people to go to the training? Uh, we uh, we also uh, are uh, we've implemented a, an environmental justice mentoring program with the New Haven Adult and Continuing Education and Learning Center off of Ellerty Grasso Boulevard. Uh, well, that's including our students, working with their students and their t and, and their and their and their faculty. And we're going to be doing exchanges coming up in the next couple of weeks. Where we're bringing them here. And the whole point of that is to work on our relationship with the community. And the number of you students here right now are also a part of that. So thank you, uh, because we know that. That's something that uh, we we constantly hear yell in New Haven, yell in New right. Haven, and so we want to try to do a better job. And we and I also can say this: FES, we were invited to go, so mm -hmm. we didn't go; they invited us to come sure. there. Mm -hmm. So with that, um, you know, that's uh, just to like let you see that my colleagues and my friends are very busy. I'm glad that we found a day that worked with them, and in the evening, you know, with a family as well as the job. So thank you all. So we have a couple of minutes. I think about a little under ten to get a couple of questions. And so uh, I see Chris uh, is, is ready uh, with a mic, and I can grab one as well and to, to go around. And so please, if you have any questions, uh, please uh, ask them, and we already have one over there. Hello. Um, so this was brought up a little bit during the panel, but um, just sort of related to workshop backlash. Um, I know I feel like my, my first personal instinct is like, oh, we got to train people. We got like to make sure people know the language and everything that we can talk to them. But like, I think it's very real that people are re resistant to that kind of conversation. Um, and like, it's come up in the news with the, the Google letter that came up after a workshop. Um, so I was just sort of wondering about your experiences, your anecdotes of avoiding the workshop backlash and other like techniques you hear about, like trying to make them appeal to the like better side and like mm -hmm. these sorts of like ways of making people want to be better instead of trying to force them to be better? My perspective on workshops is they're great, but they are one step. My, my biggest challenge is that uh, I think there's a lot of people who think the workshop is the answer. Or the only thing. Or the only thing. And so people will be like, oh, is there a workshop for this? And, and then it's like the workshop is the first step, and it's a daily practice. And so that's, that's been my challenge is to encourage people to think about is like this is one day, and then you have to you know, do it um, continually. But we certainly have had people in workshops who are really frustrated or not ready. And 
it can be hard for the environment of everybody else. So the facilitators that we work with are really skilled um, and do let people sort of step out or, you know, or really, it's hard if they're not ready to hear, you can spend a lot of the workshop uh, trying to bring them on at the detriment of the other people. So that's, that's a challenge. I don't know that I have an answer. For I think it's what's interesting, it's a great question because uh, when I ask 20 different people at our school what they thought of the same training, I will get 20 different answers ranging from mm -hmm. it was amazing, I learned so much to I was completely tokenized. Mm -hmm. It is not my job to train, you know, mm -hmm. my white peers about what their privilege means. You know, so there's a huge range to faculty who were completely uncomfortable and don't feel, they'll say, well, I think they're uncomfortable. They'll say things like, I already know this, why do I need to do that? I, I would say very few faculty voices are saying that and, and more faculty voices are saying, we need a training, where's the training? Mm -hmm. So it's not about checking a box, mm -hmm. it can't be. And um, that's why I think, I think uh, last year, before I got CL, there was a training where the facilitator, who has very mixed reviews, many of them very good, um, and he is someone who specifically has the art vocabulary, um, came in and did this, uh, this exercise called like the privilege walk, mm -hmm. where, and that, it seems like that backfired in such a major way for completely understandable reasons. Um, and so, and then there's always questions about like, well, should faculty be in those together with students or should they have their own and should students, you know, will feel more open to say things. So it, it's, I've, I think that there's always gonna be backlash. I, I, the, the idea of 20 different people, 20 different answers will tell you that it's a fool's errand in any, in any of these spaces to try to come up with a solution that's gonna satisfy everyone, that's going to feel like it's enough, that's gonna feel valuable. But that's why, as Chantal says, it cannot be the only thing that you do. And we don't ask people to take a workshop that the deans haven't taken themselves or are in, you know. So that, that's, I think, one of our best practices yeah. is like, we're gonna either do it first or we're gonna do it with you. Okay. Thank you, and thank you so much for organizing this and for all of you guys for being able to come. Um, so. Mine are actually very specific. Um, I've really appreciated, um, I've, I've learned a lot here, but uh, I'm coming from architecture school and we are also um, trying to build up a case campaign for having the very important resource that a diversity inclusion coordinator would be. Um, so I suppose my question, oh, I had it written down, but, um, uh, what were your guys' experiences of being brought on? Like, like what was the climate of the school? Um, and how could, say, I mean, it's largely gonna be a, like a, a passed down knowledge from students of, of, of identifying and being able to campaign when the time is right for a school to bring on a diversity um, uh, co uh, coordinator or dean, if we're lucky, um, to, uh, what are some recommendations of the um, of the expertise and knowledge that um, you all have and your colleagues have found most helpful in those positions and where to find them? Like, I think it was kind of interesting that you said you came from a land grant school, and and I'm actually I'm, I think it's so awesome that you are at 
the School of Medicine. It's like so badass. I'm like really impressed um, with the School of Medicine. <laughs> well, it's just it's 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 um it's pretty amazing. So um so yes, where to like where to find those resources and so we can help our dean because I think our dean is interested but definitely doesn't have the doesn't know where to go. Um, and uh, I suppose that's it because you guys gave some really good examples of places we can already go as students and faculty members. So to be honest, I honestly believe that my Mapper Dino um, position started out of a kaboom. <laughs> and, and, um, and the students and the faculty really spoke up and, and really articulated, we needed this. Um, and because there was some unrest, which start, I think, yeah, it was started yeah. on main campus, then moved to um, the School of Medicine, um, it became more clear to leadership. So what I would say to you is not just, if the student voices are not loud enough, you need to get ally groups of faculty to also sort of be coming from a different angle, articulating why this is needed. I do uh, thank you for the question of qualifications. Mm -hmm. Now I wanna be very clear, each school, what actually is needed is different. And so the qualifications for each school is different. And absolutely, most of us unfortunately learn on the job. <laughs> um, but there is training. So like I went to a nine month executive program at um, Georgetown with the AAMC um, on for chief diversity officers in academic medicine. So th that would be for me. I every year go to at least three or four different national conferences that are specifically talking about these sort of issues. Mm -hmm. um, and so there are ways to get skills, especially around the policies and procedures sort of stuff, um, best practices around the country, um, so that you're not just trying to do the work in isolation. Yeah. At the drama school, the, the best technique in terms of uh, hiring that we have found is when they are recommended by people from within the community. And while that can seem insular, as we diversify the student body, we're also diversifying who they know. And so we do ask the students to recommend people. We ask faculty and staff. Um, and then there's just a lot of personal, there was a lot of personal outreach. I had major imposter syndrome, and I was like, <laughs> I'm not, why would I apply to Yale? But when Yale calls you, you're like, well, I, I should apply. You know, so I had never thought about ever coming here. I never stepped on the campus till I applied, mm -hmm. um, until I visited. And so, and and yeah, that, that you don't have to be formally trained in this work. Um, so, you know, I would look at folks who, and, and I was just at Inspiring Yale where your dean gave a wonderful talk about all of these architects who are actually doing non-traditional architecture. And so I would look at those folks, people who are already working against the grain are actually, that is training for this kind of work. Yeah. I, I think people, one qualification would be someone who really truly authentically wants to contribute and to listen. Um, I think there's a quote I love, which is like, it's something, I'm gonna butcher it, but it's like, at the end of my life, I, I, will rather I would rather have contributed more than I criticized. And there can be many, many things to probably criticize about the way that things are happening in all of our schools. And I mean, there's parts of, th there's, there's functions and workflows in my school that seem completely archaic. But I think that 
it's the listening and really being able to put your feelers out for what is actually needed here, right? To take that time to absorb that and to not, and for it to not just be necessarily a person who is gonna walk in and just say, well, I know what's right, I know what has to happen, this is how we do this. Mm -hmm. um, but somebody who's just really values empathy and who knows how to be vulnerable and be able to say, I don't know the answer to this, or mm -hmm. I, I actually have no idea, but mm -hmm. let's figure it out together. You know, I think that's important. And, and tell you, and if, if you guys do get a, an audience with a dean, let them know what other schools do have mm -hmm. yeah. the roles, because he may be willing to call the deans of our schools and sort of figure out what the portfolio looks like and how, how we have been helpful. Mm -hmm. And it's, in, 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 and I can say for myself, and I'm sure my colleagues are the same, even though we're brought in to do diversity and inclusion work, because we work so closely with the dean, we're actually helpful in multiple areas that go way beyond diversity and inclusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> I have to agree with that. I think uh, in some ways, I don't know how you all feel, but I, I feel like people who work in diversity at the institutions usually are probably the smartest people there because they have to know what almost everybody is doing. So I can speak about insects, okay, I can speak about water, and I can speak about diversity. And so what I will say is that there are a number of different workshops, and, but they all offer something different. Like undoing racism is great, but it deals with race. We need more than race. Mm -hmm. Okay, we need to talk about sexual orientation. We need to talk about gender binaries. We need to talk about social economics, citizenship, mm -hmm. immigration, language, mm -hmm. being educated by life versus being formally educated, gender. And it keeps going. You know, disabilities. It, it keeps going, you see, international versus, you know, so, so um, I think that whatever you decide to do, if you want to explore this more, that you'll never be done learning. Mm -hmm. There's yeah. always more to learn. And the most important thing that I challenge people to do is check yourself before trying to check other people. Because yes. the more you're working on you, mm -hmm. you can keep yourself mm -hmm. a little bit more balanced and relaxed yes. as you're engaging yeah. in the midst of things and maintaining perspective mm -hmm. in the midst. So as we bring this to a close, I have to ask my colleagues, do you have any closing remarks? And I want to thank you all for being here, too. I just thank you for, for having us and having us in this conversation. Um, I'm mindful that there's like people waiting to come. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's okay. We're we, we going to be there. I mean, but you, you can take a minute because we got five minutes. Do no, you have anything? You thank good? you. Okay. I would just say that, I mean, I think that what's been so wonderful about getting engaged in this work, it's such noble work. And it's so important, and it really helps us to, it's, because what I was saying in the beginning, that, you know, un, being unwilling to engage in the most difficult conversations or the most challenging, you know, really grappling with what's happening, it's the kind of the epitome of privilege. And so for us to be able to connect to each other mm -hmm. and to our students, um, it, it's the students are why we all have jobs here. It's why this institution exists. Um, and so, yeah, I just I think thank you for putting us together in this mm -hmm. space to to talk about it. And you know, for bringing like one of the most amazing storytellers I've met yet. <laughs> yeah. If you have an interest in this work, please, please pursue your passion. We really, really need people who are there for the minoritized, marginalized, and stigmatized. Um, I can assure you, if you do this work, you will change lives. Mm -hmm. 
in five or 10 years, you will have what used to be students or want to be students calling you saying, I finally got a faculty position or whatever it is. Um, it is extraordinarily gratifying because you will have faith in people that nobody else has faith in. You will help walk the path for people that nobody else opened that door for, and you will truly, truly make a difference in the society. So please, please, if you're interested, please follow your dream. I, I do, I just wanna echo mm -hmm. that because mm -hmm. you said that is a part of why I came here was that, well, if our students, or if our graduates are taking leadership positions in the theater, which they do, um, and if I can be part of making sure that those artists are socially conscious, then that is how I'm helping to move the needle. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think this work is so gratifying. Wow. It, it, despite how challenging and emotionally <laughs> hard yes. it can be, yes. it takes a toll, yes, but you're actually pushing the needle forward. Well, uh, I'll, I'll close out with this, three quotes, okay? How about that one? One, Professor Michelle Lanier of Duke University says, conflict is just an idea trying to reach to surface. That's all it is. So how do we help more ideas come alive? The second one, I don't, I don't recall who it is, but I do recall the quote. If I show you how to do it, you'll forget something. If you watch me do it, you'll get something, but you'll still leave it out. But if you and I do it together, we both will change. Mm -hmm. And then the third quote, which is from Thomas Richard Easley, which is, <laughs> I don't like being wrong, I just loathe staying wrong. Mm. So don't be afraid to apologize when you're wrong, yes. to acknowledge when you've made a misstep. I had to apologize to a colleague yesterday in the Office of Admissions for overstepping. But I don't have a problem apologizing. The problem I have is when you don't mm -hmm. apologize and own when you are wrong. You and I want to challenge you all to continue to walk in your light, okay? Continue to be servant, ser service and servants to one another because that is what's going to make this world better. The same thing that I want in someone else, I actually have to implement it first within me. All right, so with that, I want to thank my friends and colleagues for coming. Thank my friends and colleagues for coming out there. This is Hardwood, Chris Perkins, the background. We'll walk in the background. Thank you. Taryn Wolf, Chantal Rodriguez, and Darren Lattimore. You all are beautiful, brilliant, and bold. I thank y'all for coming. Hardwood is recorded at the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies in New Haven, Connecticut hosted by Dr. Thomas Richard Easley, and produced and edited by Mr. Chris Perkins. We'll see you next week.